You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. It's been said that child abuse casts a shadow that lasts the length of a lifetime. A team of healers in Miami have been fighting for years to cast some light on that shadow. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Walter Lambert, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Miami, Miller School of Medicine, and Medical Director of the Child Protective Services Team. Dr. Lambert took on that work beginning in July 1st, 1988, and it's the only position he's ever held at the University of Miami, and he calls it his dream job. It's a task that very few are called to do. He's tasked with safeguarding children in Miami-Dade County and the Florida Keys. Dr. Lambert recently received the Florida Bar Association's Medal of Honor Award. That's the Florida's legal profession's highest honor. Today we're discussing child abuse, detection and prevention. Thanks for being with us on ReachMD, Dr. Lambert. Thank you very much for having me on. Dr. Lambert, how widespread is child abuse? Well, you know, the problem when we talk about child abuse, and I think we use the word child abuse, but I want to remind everybody it's really child maltreatment because we're really talking not only about inflicted injuries, abuse, but neglect. And neglect is actually more prevalent than abuse. We don't actually have good concepts of how prevalent it is. What we know is how many cases are called in across the country when people call in. And remember, in the United States, people call in suspicion of child maltreatment. And what we know in the United States on any given year, about 3 million reports are called in, and about one-third of them are found after investigation to have been verified. Now, that can be from very horrible things, um, you know, abusive head trauma, inflicted burns, to things that I think are not okay, but uh, excessive, to use that word excessive, uh, physical punishment. Who is most at risk to be abused? Well, every, everybody is at risk. Obviously, to fall in the category of child abuse, you're from the day you're born to the day you turn 18. There are certain kinds of child maltreatment, for instance, child sex abuse, abuse of head trauma, what some people might call shaken baby and other of those types of injuries that are very horizontal cuts through socioeconomic levels. Neglect many times is reported more in poor people, probably because it's more evident because they go to public places. So I think it's difficult to say. Like I said, um, there are certain phenomena that really are very horizontal cuts through our society. Is it harder for a physician to pick up on neglect, or is this something that they should be alert for and it crosses every socioeconomic group of society? Well, most neglect which gets called into abuse hotlines relates to the behaviors of parents who are using substances, whether they be alcohol or drugs. Most typically, the drugs that seem to be reported the most are cocaine and lately methamphetamine. It's really not the parent's drug use, but rather the behaviors of parents who use certain drugs. And if you're involved in the drugs, you're not paying attention to your children. Some drugs, as you know, like, for instance, just cocaine, the user isn't particularly hungry, so they may not make food for their children. 
So this falls into, for the primary care doctor, something else that they can look for in their patients who they know use abuse drugs and they have children. There's probably more probing questions they should ask and, and more signs and symptoms they should get involved with. I absolutely think that, especially for those who take care of children, pediatricians and family doctors, that asking questions about drug use during primary care, well-child visits is important. But we have to remember that parents are not going to acknowledge very much to recreational use and it is usually actually reports from communities. In other words, it's neighbors who say, look, that person is so out of control, they're using drugs and leaving their kids at home alone. So neglect, except for nutritional neglect and failure to thrive, tend to be more coming out of communities. Physicians are going to see it more in recognizing fetal alcohol syndrome and the partial fetal alcohol syndromes, the children who are known to be drug exposed at birth, and then those fair to thrive children. Has the patterns of child abuse changed throughout the years? You've been doing this a long time. Ah, that's a hard question. I think that, well, the first thing I have to think we have to remember is we didn't really have a vocabulary like child abuse until 40, 45 years ago. So it's a relatively new, it's not a new phenomenon, but our recognition of it as an entity was first understood as a medical diagnosis emerged in the late 50s. And so as we have become more sophisticated, we're able to recognize certain types of maltreatment today that perhaps we didn't recognize before. And I, I do think society has changed. Um, let me just use an example. In, in Florida, our state constitution very clearly allows parents to hit their children. But things that, um, for instance, I'm in my 50s, things that were considered acceptable or normal 30 or 40 years ago, today, I think are considered at least sometimes socially unacceptable. And some of that is outright abuse today. So it may or may not be more widespread, but it's certainly more publicized. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable, as you've just joined us on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Walter Lambert, Medical Director of the Child Protection Team at University of Miami, and we're discussing child abuse in 2007. Now, this isn't an easy question either, but what are some of the reasons? You mentioned drug abuse, but what are some of the other reasons why child abuse occurs? Well, I think since child maltreatment is such a broad subject, I think we have to recognize that it's different issues, right? Clearly, some parents don't know how to parent their children or misinterpret behaviors of their children and respond to them inappropriately. As you know, for instance, some babies, when they're born in those first months of life, they cry a lot. In the United States, we tend to call that colic. That is something that can be very frustrating to parents. And some parents, few, but some parents respond to that out of frustration by either putting pillows over their children's faces, potentially suffocating them. Some will pick up a child and out of frustration shake the child, perhaps causing neurological injuries. Occasionally they're so frustrated they pick up the child and smash the child against the wall. Rare, thankfully, but nevertheless. So there are times that we know children tend to be more vulnerable. That early age, like we talked about, the parents who misunderstanding normal exploration and development of children may have trouble with the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds. I mean, we have a vocabulary for it, right? The terrible twos and the tremendous threes. And different people have 
different problems with different ages. Toilet training frustrations is another well-known trigger that causes some parents to become frustrated and to respond inappropriately and aggressively against their children. And also, even in older children, issues related to either behavior at school or poor report cards, or also, you know, some parents, when they're teenagers, begin to hang out in the wrong crowd, feel that if they punish their children, that that will stop them from doing those behaviors. You know, before you have children, you may not want to learn anything about being a parent, but certainly once you're pregnant or your wife is pregnant, you may be a more receptive audience. Is there a role for education in this population or in certain populations on the issues you just mentioned? I think being having been a general pediatrician for a long time, I really see the power of well-child care. I think at well-child care, this is really one of those important issues about insurances reimbursing for well-child care, not for the medical part, not for the exam, but for the pediatrician or the family doctor's conversation with the parents about what is going on in this child's life normally and what are we expecting is going to happen the next time. And in that anticipatory guidance, I think we can help families and being very open to what is the problem in this family at this time. One of the problems I think sometimes is that we as healthcare providers don't want to, for instance, uh, you come in with your two-year-old and I say, oh, do you know about timeout? Or do you know about the difference between that? But I don't really talk to you about how do you discipline and punish your children. I make suggestions. And I think that medical providers, we really have to ask people, well, how do you punish your children? Have you thought about other ways to do it? Not saying what they're doing is wrong, but offering alternatives and resources for other ways to discipline children. You know, in an inner-city hospital, you see the most violent and horrible cases. Is it possible that our listeners out there, community physicians, may not be detecting it in their practice in another environment? First of all, I would just say, and my my work is principally office-based. The majority of children who are seen by the child protection team are not seen in hospitals. They're seen in our offices. They're reported from the community by teachers and healthcare and the education system, a very important part of reporting in the United States. What I do think is in the general community that people should be aware what are the kinds of injuries that are not consistent. Thinking about is that injury consistent with the developmental state of that child, not ignoring patterned injuries. Let me just, as a a comment, many people were themselves physically punished. And I think it's very important not to say what happened to you, therefore what I'm seeing is not okay, because we really don't know what's going on in other people's homes. And in particular, the Academy of Pediatrics has suggested that any bruise, for instance, that, that a medical person sees that lasts more than 24 hours, even if it was sustained in punishment, should be reported so somebody else can look at the case teams, multidisciplinary teams like ours, but also social service people with the hope of helping that family change their behaviors. So it's like some of what we learned about spouse abuse, where if the injury doesn't match the mechanism, you've got to go further into it, right? Absolutely. I think the difference, I think it's very similar that what we've learned about, you know, interfamily violence is those issues. But the other one is that every state in the United States has a legal requirement for healthcare professionals to report suspicion 
of maltreatment. Can you comment any more on that? I know it varies state to state, and Florida may be different than other states. Every state says if you have knowledge or reasonable suspicion, one should report. There are differences from state to state in terms of, for instance, in Florida, child abuse, the adult always is in a caregiver role. In other states, um, it can be any adult against any child. But every state requires that reporting of reasonable suspicion, not absolute knowledge. You know, we barely scratched the surface in this short interview, but where can our listeners go for more information? Well, I think there are several sources. There for the Academy of Pediatrics website, aap.org. There's the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children, APSAC, APSAC.org. And if you go to any of those sites, they can link you to other, other sites. Thank you. You're welcome. I want to thank Dr. Walter Lambert, who's been our guest. We've been discussing child abuse, detection, and prevention in 2007. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.